last week, <clears throat> we camped out in Psalm 18. And we heard from Amy the importance of having that watchtower of faith in cave circumstances. And I love that because I can just keep that phrase with me and I can pull it out whenever I need to. Okay, Kathy, it's time to have that watchtower faith. I love that. Thank you, Amy. Well, this week we looked at several psalms, but today our focus is going to be on Psalms 32 and 40, and in particular, the broken pieces of David's life and ours, and how God longs to take those broken pieces and make them into something beautiful. Well, I know I'm new to many of you, so I'm going to share a little bit about my story. I was born in Southern California, please don't hold that against me, um, in 1958. Yes, I had a big birthday last year, big one. Um, and it doesn't feel that much different than 59, I have to say, which is a good thing so far. Uh, I am the oldest of three children. I have a younger sister and a younger brother, and I can honestly say I had a dream childhood. My mom stayed at home to raise us while my dad climbed the corporate ladder in banking, and because of that, um, I moved about every two to three years. So I became accustomed to adjusting to new surroundings, uh, making new friends. We went to church fairly regularly, however, the Bible was not read in our home, and I don't recall my parents ever talking about Jesus. I did accept Christ while I was in high school after youth group one night, probably a Wednesday night, um, but there was no discipleship after that, and so consequently, I never knew that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I just thought that he was somewhere up there, and I knew I was down here, um, and that's all that I knew. I didn't even know about the Trinity other than the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in spite of all of that, I did have a very real sense that God could see me. Well, after graduating from college in 1980, I know that was such a long time ago, um, I met my husband, Todd. And we were married in 1983, as Lauren said, 36 years ago today. We have two adult children, Lauren, um, who serves here in the IBC Women's Ministry. She has two, uh, she's married to Scott, and can't forget about him. And um, they have two sons, twin boys, Hudson and Henry, which are just the light of our lives. And then um, we have our, oh, and another one on the way, which I can't tell his name, I guess I don't get that. Anyway, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Um, but, uh, and then we have a son, Andrew, who is 28, he lives in California, and one month from this Saturday, he will be marrying his sweetheart of four years here in Dallas. So, you know, at first glance, everything seems pretty darn good, and it is. And this is a story for which I am deeply, deeply grateful. But you see, my story could have ended up very differently. What isn't included in this skeletal outline of my story are the many areas of brokenness or broken pieces. 
So when I share with you the broken pieces, you will say, wow, that's such a sad story. And you'll be right. You see, the brokenness in my family history includes things like alcoholism, cancer, divorce, epilepsy, heart disease, suicide, jail time, sexual immorality, and abortion. That pretty much covers it. Pretty comprehensive list. But I want to take a moment here and clarify sin and brokenness. Sin is what we inherited from Adam. We are all guilty of sin. Brokenness is a result of that inherited sin. It is a byproduct of the sin that we see all around us every day. And we will continue to see it until Christ comes again. Sin and brokenness are inevitable in this life. No one escapes them. Not even David, a man after God's own heart. Oxford's American Dictionary, i.e. the Apple Dictionary, defines brokenness as reduced to fragments, fractured, torn, ruptured, not functioning properly, incomplete, infringed or violated, disrupted, disconnected, weakened in strength and spirit. Can any of us hear this list and say, none of this applies to me? Does this remind you of what David experienced in Psalm 32? Each of us can relate to one or more of these descriptions. And like David, we are all sinful people who experience brokenness. In Psalm 32 and 40, three themes sort of stood out to me. Sin and shame, confession, and forgiveness and redemption. So we're going to work through each of those, and then we're going to talk about what it means to live out what David describes in these two psalms. So let's look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is what they call a maskil. It is generally thought of as a psalm that brings wisdom, understanding, or instruction. In this psalm, David expresses his gratitude for God's forgiveness of his sin towards Bathsheba and Uriah. In 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, we read this account. In the spring, at a time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who was his military um, commander, out with the king's men. These were David's own men that he was sending out to war. And the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. Well, we don't know why David remained in Jerusalem at the palace while his own army was out fighting the battle. This was highly unusual behavior for a king not to be with his men in battle. But as we know, this is the beginning of David's descent down that slippery slope. One thing we do notice is that not once during this time does David pray to God asking for strength to resist temptation or guidance in how to proceed. 
But we all know how the story goes, right? David has an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. David has her husband Uriah killed in battle to cover up his own sin. And then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. David was guilty. But he didn't recognize his own sin because at that time he was far from God. He wasn't seeking God's face. When he finally did recognize his sin, he experienced shame. The definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Have any of us experienced shame in our life? Yeah. It's not comfortable, and it shouldn't be. I believe that shame is the emotion that the Holy Spirit uses to let us know that we need to repent. We need to go to God and confess our sin. You know, we talk about guilt and shame as if they're the same thing, but there's a very important distinction between the two. We are all guilty due to our inherited sin nature, but that sin is paid for by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He bore our sins and removed our guilt when he died on the cross. This was the ultimate act of love. He did so so that we could be free from sin. As Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it is for our freedom that Christ has set us free. Just think about that. We are free. Do we know that? Have we absorbed that? The enemy doesn't want us to be free. He wants us to hang on to the shame so that we become spiritually paralyzed. We start to buy into the lies of the enemy and shut ourselves off, believing that our past disqualifies us from ministry and that if people really found out about it, we might even lose our Christian community. We might even experience loneliness, depression, and soul oppression. And there is nothing, nothing the enemy wants more than to stop us in our kingdom tracks. Lee Ninehouse in her book, Brave Moms, Brave Kids, says, shame and guilt can bind us up until we shut up. And I think that is exactly what the enemy of our souls has planned. Friends, we cannot let him use our shame as a means to suppress God's redemptive work in our lives. God wants us to come to him and confess so he can rescue. That is what he does best. So it had been a year since David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba and his orders to have her husband Uriah killed in battle. Bathsheba had borne him a child. David had ignored his sin. And in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, he describes it this way. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The Lord's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Okay, well, we live in Texas. We know what that feels like. 
But David's sin was wearing on him and it manifested itself physically and spiritually. 2 Samuel 12 says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now Nathan was a prophet and David's trusted royal advisor. As God's prophet, Nathan recognized David's need to confess his sin. So he came to David with a story. And it was not a small task to confront the king of Israel about his sin. But when he did, David quickly recognized his iniquity, confessed to Nathan and to God, and he repented. David needed Nathan to keep him accountable. And Nathan loved Daniel and cared about his soul. I think this is a beautiful example of God's intention for his people to love and encourage one another. He was able to confront David in love without judgment or condemnation. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, in his book, Can You Drink This Cup?, explains the important role of community in our life with God. To know ourselves truly and acknowledge fully our own unique journey, we need to be known and acknowledged by others for who we are. We cannot live a life of spiritual secrecy. We cannot find our true freedom in isolation. Silence without speaking is is as dangerous as solitude without community. They belong together. He goes on to say, we need loving and caring friends with whom we can speak from the depth of our heart. Such friends can take away the paralysis that secrecy creates. They can offer us a safe and sacred place where we can express our deepest sorrows and joys and they can confront us challenging us to a greater spiritual maturity. We are not created to live the spiritual life in isolation. We are created for this, for community. We are to help one another stay accountable to God and his word, not in a spirit of judgment, but in the spirit of love. God used the prophet Nathan, David's royal advisor, to speak truth to David. It was only then that David confessed and repented. Do you know we all have a royal advisor who speaks to us? God has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to instruct and guide us until Christ comes again. And he calls us to join together in one spirit as the body of Christ, as the church, to walk in unity supporting and encouraging one another. The same is true when someone trusts us enough to be vulnerable and confess his or her sin. Do we listen rightly? Do we listen with a spirit of judgment and condemnation, wanting to fix? Or do we listen with the spirit of Christ, in love, offering grace and appreciation for their trust in us? to be that safe, sacred place. Here at IBC, as Lauren mentioned, we have a program called Foundation, this nine-week gathering of um, members 
much like this Bible study. And we learn about who we are in Christ, who we are in community, and who God desires us to be, and what he wants us to do in his kingdom. Foundation is where we sift through life, offering support and encouragement to one another, all the while learning how our unique story and all that it comes with fits into God's larger story. There is something healing and redemptive about life in the community of God. So what happens after confession? Lest you thought this was a message of doom and gloom, here comes the good news. Forgiveness and redemption. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak of them and tell them, they would be too many to declare. I challenge you, I encourage you, go and tell of God's great grace towards you. Remind yourself of who God has sacrificed on your behalf and the unending, unfailing love he must have for you. Knowing that Jesus, one who knew no sin, took on my sin, the sin of the world, past, present, and future, so that we could be reconciled to God, that is unfathomable to me. And yet, it is all we need to know in order to live the forgiven life in freedom. Let God use his redemptive work in your life for his kingdom. When we confess our sin to God, he offers us forgiveness. I hid my brokenness for 37 years. That is, that little rock becomes heavier and heavier. And 37 years later, I was carrying a boulder. When I was studying at DTS, I was blessed to be in a small group of saints who loved and lived like Jesus. It came time for me to tell my story. And I was scared and I was full of shame. I knew he was calling me to proclaim his redemptive work in my life. And my only job was to trust him and obey. But shame reared its ugly head. I looked around at those women in that group and I knew, I knew that my heart was safe in that circle. And so through tears, I confessed to my sisters in Christ. As these beautiful women surrounded me with grace and forgiveness, I felt the chains of brokenness just falling away. And I was free from the shame I had carried around for so long. 
I cannot express to you the overwhelming grace and love of God in that moment. I don't know about you, but for a long time I knew in my head that I was forgiven and that Jesus' death paid the price for my sin, but I didn't really allow that truth to sink into my heart and into my soul. And you want to know why? Because of shame. When we continue to carry the shame, what we are saying to God is, Christ's sacrifice is not enough. My sin is so big, God, that even your sacrifice can't redeem it. Really? Really, the creator of the universe is powerless against my sin? God wants us to bring it all to him. It's as if he says to us, bring it on. Watch what I will do. I will make beauty out of ashes. For your good and for my glory, so people will see how much I love them. And they will say, this is a God of love. This is a God who redeems. This is a God I want to know. Does the fact that we are forgiven and redeemed excuse or minimize our brokenness or our sin? No. There are consequences. Just as David experienced consequences of his sin, so do we. But God offers freedom from, those bro- from that brokenness, and he wants us to walk in that freedom as redeemed people with all our flaws, <clears throat> like a mosaic. Broken pieces put back together in a beautiful display of color and newness. The old is gone and the new has come. Just like David, we can cry out to the Lord, repent of our sin and receive God's forgiveness. And if that's not enough, he takes our brokenness aside and makes it beautiful. And even with all the brokenness, it is better than before. There's a Japanese art form called kintsugi. Have any of you heard of that? I don't know. Have you? It's beautiful. It's where broken pieces of pottery um, are put back together with a lacquer that is mixed with dust of gold. This is what it looks like. This is a perfect example of how God puts us back together in a way that then we are more beautiful than we were before. He can redeem our brokenness and make it into something beautiful and more valuable than we can ever imagine. He inclines to us. God hears our cry. He draws us up from that slimy pit of destruction out of the miry bog and sets our feet upon a rock, making our steps secure. He puts a new song in our mouth, a song of praise, to our God. There's a young woman that I know. Her name is Amelie. She is a 15-year-old artist who is wise beyond her years. I have the privilege of mentoring her through a, a nonprofit that I serve in called 413. A few weeks ago at one of our meetings, um, she showed me one of her pieces. I asked her permission to share it with all of you. Can you see what that is? 
At first, I couldn't see it. I had to stare at it. And when I looked at it, it absolutely pierced my soul. I have sat and studied this painting several times in the past month, and it still overwhelms me. The title of this work is No Shame Here, Young One. Now, I am no artist, I am not an art critic, but I am awestruck by the biblical symbolism in this beautiful piece of art. From the cosmos to the crown, to the lifting of her head, to the depth of love displayed in God's face, and the tears of shame on hers. Each of us could insert our own name, couldn't we? No shame here, Kathy. Aren't those the words we all long to hear? Perhaps you can remember a time when God rescued you from the pit. Or maybe you're waiting patiently, or not so patiently, for him to pull you out of the miry bog. Maybe you carry guilt and shame from a past sin struggle and long to share it with a trusted godly friend. Ladies, we are sisters in Christ who have the same heavenly father. We have to be there for one another to speak truth when a sister is struggling, to listen to one another's stories with the same grace and compassion that Jesus has shown us. Let's commit to stand by one another, pointing to the cross and marveling at the great redemptive story of our lives. That is what we see with David. In spite of his adulterous affair and the murder of Uriah, the Lord still calls David a man after his own heart. David repented. David sought God's forgiveness. David continued to seek and serve God, and David trusted God's power to forgive and redeem. David knew his God. Do we know our God in the same way? Do we trust that he can and will forgive and redeem? Do we believe Jesus' words from the cross it is finished. God is more than able to redeem our sin. He is more than able to mend our broken pieces with something finer than gold. He will transform the brokenness in our lives into something more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. And when we see him face to face, he will draw us close. He will lift up our head and whisper, no shame here, beloved daughter. 